Attention all recovering Catholics. Attention all recovering Catholics. This podcast is for you. Welcome to Babe. All right, I'm going to start right away with a letter. A letter written on December 13th, 1977 (laughs) by Sister Carol Marie, my second grade teacher, to my mother. Dear Mrs. Doyle, Sean has been eating erasers and chewing up pencils for quite a while now, but this week has been really bad. The pencils he borrows to use never look the same. Erasers bitten off and pencils cracked and chewed down. This habit of his is very annoying and disturbing, not only to myself, but to the other children. It's also not very healthy. When I bring this to his attention, he will remove the eraser from his mouth and laughs when I show him the pencil. This is part of the pencil he chewed today. Please talk to him about this matter because I am not getting through to him. I would appreciate it. Whenever I call this to his attention, he laughs and shrugs a shoulder at me. His behavior mark has gone down this semester. Thank you, Sister Carol Marie. Okay, this letter came in an envelope full of chewed, eaten, like standard Catholic school 70s pencils they were given to us and um they used to not have erasers and then they they had erasers and i would chew the fuck out of these um i would eat pencils like it was my job why you ask (laughs) because i was a nervous fucking wreck in catholic school uh it's one of the one of the many reasons i am no longer catholic not the eating pencils part the fact that i was really like an exposed nerve for at least kindergarten through eighth grade high school was i was i also went to catholic high school was actually a little bit better but yeah cut to me in 1977 eating pencils and shrugging my shoulder thinking i'm you know yeah of course i'm eating pencils when i when i think of who i am today and some of like the fucked up eating habits I have, I need look no further than the pencil eating of 1977. And my, my mom saved these letters. She actually has given me like a letter a year for Christmas for the last few Christmases. Um, I got another letter from another teacher, Mrs. Lenhard, saying that um, my parents should not tell me about upcoming events lest my work become careless. We still, like, for instance, our trip to Marineland, she cited, is coming up, and and I could barely pay attention. So my parents stopped telling me, like, about good things coming up. We just, you know, I just lived a life of dread and fear. Uh, And then they would surprise me minutes before we would go somewhere because my work was becoming careless. And it's funny because to this day, like when we're about to go on a trip or go somewhere, Eric will say, is your work becoming careless? And, or if I email him from work, it's clear that my work is becoming careless. So my mom saved these letters and gives them to me as gifts, kind of like a fuck you. Like, yeah, you were not easy to raise, but anyway, um, she had the pencils in the envelope and I could, I remember walking home with this. She dropped this letter in my book bag and I took the envelope full of pencils and I threw it to the back of the closet at the house of, um, the O'Leary's, the family that used to babysit me. And, um, I grabbed my, my, my bag and my clothes, my school clothes and was ready to leave. And Mrs. O'Leary was like, Oh, you dropped something. And it was this envelope with this letter full of fucking pencils. And, uh, uh, I was 
I was sure I was going to be either excommunicated from the church or go to hell, probably. So, um, yeah, I was a mess. It's they're lucky. That's all I did was eat pencils in second grade because I was uh, well, I was certain I was going to either go to hell because I knew probably around second grade, if not sooner, that I had crushes on boys, that I didn't like girls. I liked boys. And that didn't seem to be okay <laughs> in the Catholic Church in the 70s. Um, I'm, I'm bringing this up now because it, it also doesn't seem to be okay in 2018 either. And that's what got me thinking about being Catholic and, and being raised Catholic. I'm no longer Catholic. I'm a Unitarian Universalist, which deserves its own podcast. But I think the opposite of being Catholic, and that's Unitarian Universalism, but there were lots of reasons that I could have gone to hell as a seven-year-old. Um, there were sins, and I actually don't remember which was worse, a venial sin or a mortal sin. But if you said like a Hail Mary or um, a couple of Our Fathers, you could wipe away, I think, venial sins. But mortal sins, I think, stayed on your soul forever. Um and then you could go either to hell or purgatory where unbaptized babies and pagan babies went. They, they um, told us that pagan babies, we used to have drives for pagan baby, babies. <laughs> I don't know where they lived uh, in Pagania. But uh, yeah, they, were, they weren't going to heaven. So they said, if you were a scapular, which is a uh, piece of uh, nice satin, that has a holy card on each side of it. One on your, oh, goes over your heart and the other one, I guess, on your back. If you wore a scapular all the time, it would wipe away your mortal sins. And Mary herself, we were, we were assured that the Blessed Mother herself would pluck us from the clutches of hell and bring us directly to heaven. All we had to do was wear the scapular. So I would wear the scapular. I had a prayer table in my bedroom. On the prayer table was a statue of, it was actually the infant of Prague, who I thought was a girl. Uh, so I put makeup on her and I used to take her elaborate gown on and off and put as many rosaries around her neck as I could. I treated her like a Barbie, uh, but it's not a her. It, it was actually baby Jesus. Y'all, it was a he. And he's given the peace sign with one hand and holding the earth in the other. Are you familiar with an infant of Prague? Uh, so, but the infant of Prague slash Barbie was on my prayer table. Lots of little statues, a glow in the dark rosary. I had a lot of rosaries, but right before I knew I was about to get my ass kicked for being in trouble, I would wrap the rosaries around my wrists and pray my ass off. Like, please, like parent teacher conferences are tomorrow. Please, God, don't let them mention my name. Let them say good things about me. I'm one of the tormented. I'm not one of the tormentors. Or if I wanted a, a certain teacher for homeroom, I would, I would wrap the rosaries around my wrists and pray at my prayer table like, dear, sweet, blessed Jesus, please give me the cool teacher and not the evil, sadistic nun. There was always a lay teacher who was sort of fun and, and young and from planet Earth. And then there was a nun. And we had the Felician sisters. Um, they were mostly Polish, mostly old, and mo I mean, almost all of them had men's names. 
So they would take uh, the name Gerald and turn it into, uh, or Gerard, they would turn that into, uh, what was her name? Oh, just Gerard. <laughs> How pretty. Sister Gerard. Or there was Sister Albertine. There was Sister Patrick. There was Sister S- uh, Sylvesterette. Jesus Mary and Joseph, right? So um, I would pray to get the lay teacher who many of them were lesbians. Let's just call it what it is. But uh, either I wanted the lesbian or perhaps the nun who was also a lesbian. We There were two nuns. I, they will, I'm going to protect their anonymity, but they were, they were probably in their mid thirties, early forties at the time that had a special relationship. And when the bell would ring, like the school bell to leave, when it rang twice, it was the, it was the one nun calling the other nun to her office for sweet lovemaking. I don't know what these nuns did, but anyway, I had, I was, I was a devout Catholic little boy. When you look at pictures of my first communion, my hands are in prayer position, even at home. <laughs> like when I was in my little, my little suit and my tie, uh, and I was, it was the year I was eating pencils. Uh, I was seven or eight. I'm standing in my kitchen, but my hands are clasped in prayer. I really, really wanted to be a good Catholic, but I knew that I probably wasn't going to fit in because I was most definitely super gay and everybody seemed to know it. And I knew it, too. Yeah, I'm, I'm gay. Uh, but I, you know, I fought the good fight, let's just say. And so I went to St. Amelia's, uh, which is in the town of Tonawanda in uh New York state. <laughs> uh, I don't know why I'm laughing. It's just, it's weird to say it out loud. St. Amelia, nobody knows anything about her. Um, and, and uh, there, there were relics in the altar and I, I hoped it was like a finger bone of St. Amelia. Um, but I don't know what our relic was. It was a piece of a saint is in every altar. And I remember uh, someone scaring me saying it was St. Lucy's eyeball, which St. Lucy, I think in, in her history had her eyeball like plucked out. She was a martyr. Anyway, I really wanted to be a good Catholic boy, and I endured Catholic school. Um, these These, not only did the kids mostly the boys really torture me for being real faggy. But uh, some of the teachers were really mean to me too. They were like just as, just as uh, much a bully as, as some of the young toughs in my, uh, oh man, I used to fake being sick so much that, and I used to just take myself to the nurse's office and plop down and pray that my mother could pick me up and and take me out because I was just so nervous all the time and nervous, you know, not only that I was going to get picked on, but also, you know, that I would burn in the fires of hell. So my parents invested time and money into turning me into a great little Catholic and how sad for them that that didn't quite turn out. But I I knew that it wasn't because I really felt like even in the, in the seventies and eighties, uh, class of 85, I knew that I didn't belong there. And I hoped I was wrong because I, you know, I, I'd invested a lot of time too, and a lot of prayer and a lot of, a lot of, uh, twisting of rosaries and a lot of putting makeup on the infant of Prague. Uh, but turns out I am not welcome there. And we're going to fast forward 
from Pencil Eater to uh, speaking to the Buffalo News. I don't know if anyone reads the Buffalo News anymore, uh, but I was uh, interviewed and I had a lot to say about Catholic Charities in 2018, everyone. Catholic Charities ending their adoption and foster care programs. Why, you may ask yourself, if, if you haven't read this in the news. Because uh, a gay couple, two men, dared to go to Catholic Charities and ask uh, to be a part of their adoption program. And they do not believe that uh, two men are a married couple. They are not a valid couple in the eyes of the church. They believe, and this is a quote from the the sadistic nun that runs the program, that a child is better off with a mother and a father, with a man and a woman. And so because they are opposed to this, uh, you know, deep in their deep in their hearts, you know, that two men aren't a couple, they would not adopt to this couple and decided that if we're going to be hit because it's illegal to discriminate in New York state, uh, some states it's just fine to discriminate, but in New York state, they would have to follow the law. So instead of going through a lawsuit, going through bad press, they just decided, well, if, if you're going to make us, uh, help gay couples adopt a baby, then guess what? We're getting rid of the whole fucking show. It's over. No more adoption. No more foster care. So there's like 34 kids in foster care right now uh, through Catholic Charities. And there are many people that are in the process of adopting straight couples uh, that are going to be out of luck. And I think it fucking sucks. It's it's unbelievable to me that, uh, you know, I have friends who are Catholic and gay And I just don't get it. You know, they'll support you up to a point. But if you want to get married, if you want to adopt a baby, then you're no longer human. You're no longer uh, a fully uh, functioning human being in the eyes of the Catholic Church. And, you know, in my little boy heart, I knew that this was how they felt. As a 47-year-old, I told the news reporter, I'm not surprised. Uh, I'm hugely disappointed, but I, I, I get it. I, I can see where they would have to draw the line because they are not accepting of gay men. They are not accepting of, uh, the gay lifestyle. You would think Eric and I are like swingers from the late seventies. Woo! Our lifestyle. We're constantly going to key parties and bringing in lovers, yeah, our lives are just like everybody else's lives. I, I don't. I really don't know what uh, Catholic Charities thinks uh, two men are like when they get married. But uh, my quote in the paper was that clearly none of these people that made this decision know a gay couple with a child, because if they did, they would see that these children are surrounded by so much love, so much protection, so much care, so much kindness. The adoption process is tough. You have to jump through rings of fire. I'll never forget my friend Mary saying, who could pass such a test? Like we have been scrutinized. Uh, they've um, short of DNA samples, you know, we've had to write letters. Um, letters of recommendation have been written for us. Um, we had to have a psychiatric evaluations, uh, background checks, a PPD shot. 
I didn't get that one. Um, we had to be scrutinized by a social worker. You know, we these babies are hard won by gay couples. And because of that, and because of the process, there's a, an entire village of people that are out there to, to love my son. And I told the reporter, my son has hundreds of people rooting for him. He will never go a day in his life without feeling so completely loved by so many people. And to think that the Catholic church would just rob people and I really rob not just gay couples, but now no straight couples get to adopt through Catholic charities either. And it's not like they just got in the game, you know, 10 minutes ago. They have been adopting for, for years. A couple of my friends were adopted through Catholic charities and they're in their, their mid to late forties. And it really pisses me off. And I don't know how people reconcile it. I, I did say that anyone that works at Catholic charities or uh, stays with Catholic charities after after this decision is complicit, which uh, has made some people feel really bad. And it doesn't mean that they're bad people. It doesn't mean I don't love them very much, but it does make them complicit. Uh, and I know that, that there are some people really struggling with that. And I, I feel for them because it, it's got to be really hard uh, to to be a part of an organization uh, that is discriminating against people that they love. So I get it. But I also told the uh, news reporter that I'm kind of bummed because part of me liked being Catholic. I grew up Catholic. I was baptized in the Catholic church. I went to, um, St. Amelia's. Like I said, I started there in kindergarten all the way through eighth grade. I went to, uh, an all boys Catholic high school, St. Joe's, uh, where it was a little less religious than St. Amelia's. It was a little less fire and brimstone, but we still had theology and, um, we still had, uh, confession, which I think my confession in 1989 as a senior was my la my last confession. Um, but there's comfort in a Catholic mass. I was recently at a Catholic service and I know all the, well, they changed the words a little bit, but I know all the words and I know the songs and it reminds me of, of some good parts of my youth as well. And kind of sucks that, that I can never, can never go into a Catholic church and feel like, Hey, I can be me here. I'm accepted here. My husband who I love is accepted here. Uh, my son would be accepted here. Um, and for that, I, I really just want to say, fuck you to the Catholic church. Um, it doesn't apply to me right now because, again, I'm a Unitarian Universalist and I haven't, other than certain occasions, haven't been to Catholic Mass. But I'm kind of bummed that I have to completely sever those ties. And, uh, you know, grade school for, for all the horror did, did have some fun parts. The first best part of being in Catholic school was the amazing friends that I still have today. And I thank Facebook for that. Uh, people that I was in first grade, second grade, eighth grade with that I can still talk to, that I can still visit and who we share this history. We share this sort of fucked up experience of going through uh, St. Amelia's uh, grade school, which is when you talk to people from certain graduating classes, everybody had their thing. But our our class, the class of 85, was labeled the worst class, <laughs> which I can't imagine. I, I don't think we were that bad. Uh, we did have a scandal 
Someone took a sandwich covered in mustard and drew it across the cafeteria wall, staining the wall. And uh, they lost their minds. They lost their fucking minds. And so we had to go. Someone wrote a letter some sort of letter uh, about it. And we had to do handwriting samples to try to find out who drew the sandwich across the wall, just wiped some mustard on the wall. We all went down and had to do the handwriting sample. They were ready to kick some ass and the nuns were violent too. They would pull your hair, pinch your arms, slap your, your uh, front of your hand with a ruler. Uh, they would grab left-handed scissors out of your hand and claim that it was the devil's hand. <laughs> Poor Poor, there were left-handed scissors though so apparently the devil was sort of welcome there but i can reminisce for days with my friends from catholic school who i really 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 love even the ones that were mean to me i forgive them and i'm i'm fine with them i i thank them for for making me the man i am today um the nuns on the other hand were were fucking insane i mean these these women would be either locked up in, in prison or in some some form of mental institution nowadays we we had we had some nuns that were uh, either old we had one nun sister Valencia and uh, the girls had to walk she walked she had a waddle a very strident waddle and the girls had to because she was frail had to walk her back to the convent so that was a girl's job uh, and I, I heard tell that when they took the girls on a field trip to the the convent for aging nuns they were forced to stand at the deathbed of a nun <laughs> like how scary is that the boys went to the seminary where I feel like we got to like go into a creek but we uh, we went to a seminary the girls went to the convent this was this was the big fun but the nuns were not nice to me at all we had one nun sister Alphonsine who had a very very uh, thick Slavic accent and a hideous wart on her tongue that she'd flash really quickly uh, if she was mad at you uh, she was she was a, a beast of a woman uh, sister Alphonse Alphonse Alphonsine any name can be turned into a woman's name. Uh, the, the, these, this group of nuns was really, uh, really special. And like I said, some of the, the lay teachers, uh, there was one, her name was Mrs. Myers, and she uh, would smoke uh, Kent cigarettes in class when we were gone. But I remember I had to go back in to ask her a question and she had her feet up on her desk and she was, she was smoking. What the fuck? Anyway, these teachers, uh, they molded me. They, they shaped who I was. Uh, as I grew older and turned 12, 13, 14, I started to develop crushes on every boy in class. Uh, and that was really rough, too. There were some, some special boys that were extra cute that I really, really liked. But we had a, a, a teacher that I was fond of as well. He was the gym teacher. We had like a schlubby gym teacher for a while. And then we got like a hot gym teacher. His name was Fred Waziak, I think. And he wore like nut hugger shorts, like shorty McCormick short shorts, little polo shirts with maybe the collar popped. I'm not sure, but he was hot. He was probably like 22, but he seemed like, oh my God, he's so dreamy. I remember some of the girls said they saw him out once, but this girlfriend, what could she possibly look like? I was jealous. Um, Jim was absolute torture for me. Uh, we used to do shirts and skins and uh, I did not want to be skins. Although I was titillated by the team that was Skins because I got to get a quick glimpse. But uh, 
shirts and skins was like, you may as well just roll me over with a, a tractor. Just put a bullet in my head. Uh, I was, uh, I was chubby and wore husky jeans. We had to wear uniforms, uh, and they were in the husky size. So my husky body was flying around that gym and I was terrible at sports, but there was always, I feel like I might've faked not knowing how to serve a volleyball. So that Fred Awaziak, am I saying that right? Someone tell me, uh, could I remember he put his like hand on my shoulder and then and then showed me how to serve the ball and I was like oh god I'm in, I'm in love with you oh I loved Mr. Waziak but uh, most people were not attractive uh, at Saint Amelia's most teachers and uh, I found myself getting sort of lopped in with the troublemakers. We also had another treat. Another treat was uh, in the cafeteria, which our cafeteria was low end. Let me just tell you, it was like homemade shit that like these gangster malls that worked back behind the counter. They, they were like, you know, they were wanton women with like lipstick and probably cigarette butts in their pocket. Uh, but they would scoop out mashed potatoes and, and rice and there'd be some sort of meat concoction. And we would have pizza, but it was really a hamburger bun with sauce and a piece of cheese. But then some days we'd have special pizza, which was actual pizza <laughs> when they would spend money on a pizza. So special meant it's pizza. But for dessert, my friends, there was something called the Congo bar. The Congo bar was not from the Congo. It was a like a blondie, like a reverse brownie with chocolate chips. And there were different variations of the Congo bar. There was like the undercooked, delicious Congo bar. There was the the too fat and tall, dry Congo bar. But when it was Congo bars, and that's very specific, I'd like to hear from you, the listener. Did anyone else on the fucking planet ever eat a Congo bar besides people that went to St. Amelia's? Oh, but I loved Congo bars. They were so good. I preferred the undercooked ones. But, you know, who named that the Congo bar? Like, had any of these nuns ever been to the Congo? Like, did, were they serving blondies <laughs> in the midst of it all? I don't know. Uh, but, yeah, the cafeteria was uh, always the scene of, of, well, it was the scene of that mustard crime. And we did find out, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to name, I'm going to name the, uh, the culprit right here, right here on Babe. Babe, do you know who did it? Richard Desimone, who was, who was very, I thought he was attractive. He, he kind of had a, he reminded me of like a, a young Fonz, Arthur Fonzarelli, <laughs> a young Fonz wiping a sandwich across the, yeah, that was pretty bad. That was towards the end. That was towards graduation. And, uh. We were all in trouble. So, you know, I love these people. I love, I love my friends that I still talk to, my friends that, that, that uh, you know, made me who I am today. And I'm sad that I can't look back and think, you know what, I did belong. Because, I, you know what, I fucking didn't. I didn't belong. I still don't belong. And it really pisses me off. So this reporter from the Buffalo News, Steve Watson, got an earful from me. And I told him that my parents are also people that go to the Catholic church and give money to Catholic charities. And of all the things, it reminds me of this episode of Mary Tyler Moore where um, they interview her, but they, they splice the, they edit the interview to a point where it makes it sound like she's like being unkind to the people that work in the newsroom. 
they sort of twist her words. And for about a 40-minute conversation I had over the phone with this reporter, uh, other than my quote about clearly these people don't know a gay person, uh, other than that quote, they also got Doyle, whose parents still give to Catholic charities. <laughs> I was like, oh, fuck. I better get to my parents quick before they turn to page A7, where the article was continued. So thank you, uh, reporter, for throwing my parents under the bus. But I said, my dad said that it's going to stop. It's going to stop. We're not going to give to them anymore. And my mother uh, told me that they shredded the check. They shredded the check to Catholic Charities and uh, that maybe she was about to send out. I don't know. It's hard for people in their 70s and 80s to, with a gay son to reconcile that, um, that, that this organization would rather completely do away with a really great thing than, than have to give a, a baby to a, a lascivious, sadistic gay couple like what what do they think i just don't get it so i don't know i gotta get past it for sure because i too have felt conflicted and again i'm not a practicing catholic but i i uh think of the the memories that i have of a a troubled youth in the catholic school uh but also you know kind of like feeling at home there. And, and that's really a big part of my history. And um, this latest bit, and I'm not even talking about the abuse allegations of pedophile priests. This, I mean, that's, that'll, I mean, this is just a distraction, really, this, this adopt, Catholic Charities adoption thing. Uh, if you're not from Buffalo, uh, you'll, you won't know that we're trying to, we, me and the gang, uh, are trying to get the bishops, <laughs> me and the angry mob of villagers, they're trying to get the bishop to resign for covering up sex abuse scandals. So really, really, Catholic Church, this is this is the, the hill you want to die on, adoption. Uh, I think they have bigger fish to fry. Uh, but I feel bad. I feel bad because I have really good memories, too, of growing up Catholic. So I'm uh, conflicted. You know, I've been out of grade school for, Jesus, 33 years, and I have scars. I have absolute scars. I can still remember some of the cruel things that people said to me. I remember where I was standing when they were said. I remember who said them. And I remember how, how I just wanted to die in my, in my place. Um, I remember Shirts and Skins, which was like somewhere between being in my very own porn movie and my very own night. Nightmare. Jim was rough, save for Mr. Waziak. I just, is that, was that his name? <laughs> Someone has to confirm this. But uh, most of my scars have healed. And some of the best parts of me, I think my, my defense mechanism of, of humor uh, and quick wit, my benevolence, my resilience, my compassion, all started at St. Amelia's. Uh, so maybe it wasn't all completely wasted. So I guess I have to choose to take the best parts of growing up Catholic and take them with me into the world that I live in now, which is certainly not... Uh, the world of Catholicism, where I'm not welcome. So if I had my way, life would be all Fred Waziak's teaching me how to serve a volleyball, shirts and skins with me as just an observer, and then uh, an undercooked Congo bar. And that would be life. That would be life for me. Unfortunately, it's not. But I do want to just say, if you're listening, class of 85, I love you. Thank you for making me the man that I am today. Because I like myself. I do. I do. So f fuck you, Catholic Church. And I love you, class of 85.
Okay. Talk to you later. Bye, everyone. Thank you.